Got your tickets to Mumbrella 360 2024 yet? More big names have just been announced. Joining former Nike CEO Greg Hoffman, New York-based April Seiler, Review's Chief Executive Officer and former professional athlete, is set to fly into Sydney and will speak on why marketers make top-tier CEOs. While recently appointed CMO at the Iconic, Joanna Robinson will feature on an all-star CMO panel on empowering women in the industry. Mumbrella 360 will go ahead at Sydney's Dalton House on 21 to 23 May. Head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 for tickets. Seven West Media enters the ARN SCA Media Wars, but what does it really all mean? Also on this episode, Optus offer up a new explanation for last week's nationwide outage, and the ARI Awards are back, but for how long? Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths, and I'm joined again this week by publisher Adam Lang and deputy editor Nathan Jolly. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. We wrapped up last week's episode by saying a lot could happen in seven days. And boy, howdy has it, because let's start with the Optus story. So seven days ago, as we record this, everyone would know by now the nationwide outage that left 10 million customers without being able to make calls or access the internet. They've been hit from every angle about how they dealt with this. So late last week, Optus cited a network error. Then on Monday, they kind of issued a a big further explanation. A little bit of a quote here. So they said, the Optus network received changes to routing information from an international peering network following a routine software upgrade. These routing information changes propagated through multiple layers in our network and exceeded preset safety levels on key routers, which could not handle these. This resulted in these routers disconnecting from the Optus IP core network to protect themselves. A lot of big words there, Adam. So before we get (laughs) into... uh, this latest response. Let's start with the comms crisis conversation. It has been seven days. What's been your take on the seven days of movement on Optus's mm. end? So, look, speaking of core network protecting themselves, <laughs> um, the communications, oh, gosh, it's been interesting over the last seven days, hasn't it? So I think I have to go back to one of the old maxims, maybe even the Second World War for this one, <laughs> Neil. What was often quoted as a Churchillism: never let a good crisis go to waste. If there is such a thing as a good crisis. But this certainly was a crisis, right? We called it a disaster last week and indeed it was. So it's now been seven days. I don't think Optus has fully capitalised on this 2002 cyber attack crisis or this one, right? So I'm still thinking that the opportunity to turn this crisis into something good something that's strong, something that enhances the brand of Optus with its customers, I think that opportunity is still available to them. I don't think they've done it yet and I hope that they will pursue it quickly. Mm. Before we get into that, Nathan, you actually reported last week that the Optus CEO, Kelly Bear-Rosemarin, was scheduled or was she actually doing the Vaucluse home photo shoot the day of? It was happening as this thing was unfolding. She wasn't spotted at her home, so whether or not she was there is subject to further investigation. But right. her husband was there. He was papped by the Daily Mail. He gave them a number of choice quotes such as, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, I guess this just happens with technology and big business, doesn't yeah. it? This feels like, like a Will Ferrell comedy because on top of that, it's been reported well, that the identity of the third party that – I guess was the reason of this as or brought down the network was actually Optus's parent company, Singtel. On top of that, 
the Singtel board was reportedly in Sydney while this was all happening. Adam, unpack this, please. Okay, so look, in what would seem to be an unfortunate coincidence of timing again, but <laughs> part of the normal program with uh, corporate reviews is that boards review data and in this occasion the Singtel board was in Australia to review an annual set of results. So normal operations here. But it just so happened that it was the day that a national network outage happened. So you can imagine you know, how the executives at Optus would have been feeling you know, for 10 million customers plus board, all really bearing witness to this issue as it unfolded. You know they were actually in the country last year during the cyber hack as well. I did not. Company. Yeah, oh, isn't, no, isn't that no, the worst? It's the worst. Surely if you're up to us, you tell Singtel, you know what, we're doing all this virtual from now on. Or just Stay don't out. turn up because you seem to be jinxing things. <laughs> yeah. I know it's not the most important thing and it's certainly not really relevant to customers, but, God, that's excruciating. You know, <laughs> yeah. just to know as a professional that you're – got this high-pressure powder keg just gone off and your board is right there watching your every move. It's like a terrible sitcom where it's like, oh, the the owners of the overseas company are coming in, so make sure nobody messes up and then you have like a kind of Basil Fawlty type mishap. Mm. Like or it's a surprise name. boss. Was that the television show? <laughs> <laughs> so, look, Neil, it was very unfortunate timing, but, but first and foremost, you know, it is a customer service issue. You've got reliability, you've got people who've paid for something they're not getting, people who've come to use their mobile phones and, and connection or connectivity as Optus call it as a daily utility. You know, so when they're paying for something, they want to talk to someone, they want to communicate in any form or just be entertained. So they couldn't do that. And so this this network outage ultimately, which revealed to be partially an internal issue in terms of updates, one from, from Singtel, the owner company, but another really how that is instructed and acted upon here. So you would think that these sorts of things happen all the time. There are international companies and that these sorts of things are possibly even predictable and preventable. So you know, they didn't know that on the day. That's not helpful. Yes, they've come out with it, but I don't know that they've fully captured that opportunity of galvanising themselves in this crisis to say, okay, it happened, we're sorry, this is what we're doing about. I don't know that that's come across in a coherent way yet. And mm. I'd love to see that it does. Yeah. Don't you think it's also a bad move to kind of blame the overseas company considering how much people really kick against places like Telstra having overseas call centres and having like kind of stuff that, you know, infrastructure set up overseas. It, it kind of looks bad. Mm. And to blame that, when they didn't need to, seems like a misstep as well. Like they should have kind of gone Optus as, I mean, they're owned overseas, which a lot of people don't realise and, you know, it shouldn't matter, but there are still people, if you follow the old Shops Australia Facebook group, there are still people that are furious at like Vegemite and things like that <laughs> as, are overseas and they go, I've stopped eating that the minute they sold it. Like say so people really care about Australian owned and Australian products and things like that. So it just seemed a bit short-sighted to blame the overseas parent. So ownership is the key, right? Yeah. As in own the issue because ultimately you're the one who has the interface with the customer. So it doesn't really matter what the cause were. Explain it, fix it, please give us assurance that it's not going to happen again and, and how are you going to make good on it. And ideally if they can capitalise on some of that and do it really well, it's possible to bring the brand back in customers' minds. But I think that opportunity is still available to them. Nathan just mentioned Telstra right there. In this last few days, it's been reported that they've received a bump in customers since the outage. 
going with your glass half full approach, Adam, that maybe Optus <laughs> still have a chance to make good here. Of course they do. Are we at the point of calling for resignations? Uh, look, that it is certainly being mentioned by some customers and many in the media that, that that question has to be answered. You know, really, resignations, they can happen. I don't know that they're the answer. You have to look at what is the operational learning and what, what are the operational lessons that can be taken from this, particularly in the atmosphere where we're looking a bit over a year ago was the cyber attack and response. Now last week was the outage and response. And you'd have to say that the, the judgment on those by customers and professionals alike is more work to do. So really I think the most critical path for customers is around what work is there to do. If a resignation happens, it's a temporary fix, right? It'll alleviate some pressure, you know, that perhaps in some people's minds that consequences were felt right at the, at the end of someone's job. But if you look back, and, and last week we spoke about this, and Nathan, you pointed it out, was with, with Qantas, that their share price in the last month had gone up 10%. Yeah. And that was post Richard Goiter's announcement that he and two fellow directors would be leaving the directors in short term and him within 12 months, so before the next AGM, but that investors had then rewarded that. So, you know, the, there were a couple of resignations that were called for them, but neither of them were the CEO. Alan Joyce had left before that time. And so... Yeah, you don't. I don't sort of really know that resignations are the answer. I think the brand, no matter who's the custodian of the executive positions, has to be responsible for itself. And in that mind, the board are responsible for oversight and appointing the key executives. So this is really a matter for the board. Well, as always, stay tuned to mumbrella.com.au for more details and updates. I'm sure we'll be talking about this again next week. The other big story this week, Seven West Media have entered the ARN SCA Media Wars. On Monday, Seven West Media confirmed it had acquired a 19.9% share in ARN, making them the network's biggest shareholder. Straight away in this announcement, though, Seven West Media said it had no intention of taking over ARN or SCA, that this was simply done to ensure ARN's long-term success. Adam, I now have a running joke with you that these predictions and thoughts that you have seem to come to fruition. So maybe let's just start with the announcement itself obviously is very interesting that Seven West Media have acquired these shares. But then add on the fact that this ARN SEA takeover bid is in the works and the fact that they've been quick to say, no, 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 this has nothing to do with the takeover. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? So wasn't this a fascinating development? (laughs) Over a weekend, you know, the market closes at 4 o'clock on a Friday and some busy folk at each operation are buying and selling shares uh, to the tune of 20% of ARN. So Seven West uh, have talked about their structure. They've been involved with radio before Prime. They've got the West Australian newspaper. So really what they are now is a, is a television and written news company. So really what they are now is a television and newspaper, uh, the West Australian in Perth plus some other assets, but those are are really the most important ones. And they've decided after thinking about audio and radio and what other assets they might buy, they've taken this really opportunistic moment really after the shop was shut, you know, the ASX was closed over the weekend and they've done it. They've executed a purchase of 20%. So strategically impressive, bold, you know, very much in fitting with how Kerry Stokes has cut his (laughs) career, right? So you can see that, oh, yeah, that, that, that all makes sense. Interesting, I think, that 
I think this is a smart move by them to that. Now, on one side I would say if you look at Nine Entertainment Company, its acquisitions in recent years including Fairfax and Macquarie Media, the company that I used to run, they've gone into news, mastheads, newspapers, uh, and they've gone into audio, radio. And so you've got Nine on the one hand with assets in online, in television and audio. You've got Seven West now with assets in television and online but also now with an interest in audio, so being part of that play. So I think strategically that's interesting and, and what you would say is amortising risk. You know, the broader asset base you own, uh, the more risk you can manage and in a way that gets them into an ownership position with the radio audience of the industry of ARM and, and those advertisers. So strategically really interesting, shrewd move. I would also observe that Seven West purchase of ARN shares also explicitly says they haven't bought SCA. So they've basically picked a horse in this race. That mm. They've said that we think ARN's plan is good, we want in, we want 20% of that company and we're willing to invest a lot of money to do it. So while it's a shrewd move for Seven and Seven West Media and obviously supportive and publicly so of the ARN bid, what it means though is that Seven West is unlikely to also be a similar investor in SCA and they're not backing their plan. So it, it's one less option for SCA to pursue. The reason I kind of called you the Nostradamus of this situation is because I think the, the very first week we reported the takeover bid was happening, you said the intention always needs to be growth and winning, Yeah, which is what Seven West Media really came out and said. So to your point just there of backing a horse, what does this mean for SCA? So, yeah, look, I, I genuinely think... It's about winning and growth. And let me stress, I know nothing. I have no insider knowledge of this transaction whatsoever. These are purely observations from my point of view. Mm. And, and I have some experience in, in how the companies operate. But it makes sense to me. And that's that's what's at the basis of, of what I'm saying now. So SCA, I think the pressure's on to do the deal more quickly. Right? So this is when Seven West have said, we want to back ARN's plan. We know that ARN's plan is to take the assets of two companies, what is now known as ARN and SCA, take their networks of KISS, the network of Triple M gets added in and a whole bunch of regional stations. So ARN becomes KISS, Triple M, regional stations. SCA would become hit network, pure gold, plus some regional stations, but less they have now, and there'd be a third entity, an independent joint venture owned by the two of them that would likely house listener and digital assets. So, you know, you'd say that SCA's plan is to become a shareholder in, in ARN. They spin off the other assets to Anchorage Capital Partners, so you end up with two. So in short, this plan ends up with SCA gone. You know, it is broken up into different assets. One becomes... ARN, one becomes Anchorage Capital Partners and one becomes a joint venture. And that could be in the best interest of shareholders because the current SCA shareholders will now say, oh, well, we, we won't be an owner of the old one, the existing one. We'll be owner of a value in the new company and a new stronger company is the argument that they want to prosecute. Now, ARN coming in and backing ARN and not SCA means ARN's desire to close this deal by December probably has greater likelihood now than it did before the weekend. Mm. Uh, so really when companies are looking at their returns, you know, they look at calendar quarters and halves and fiscal years. If they can wrap this up by 31 December, it means that closes in a certain period and that means that all of the issues they're dealing with now from cost of living pressure for consumers, advertising pressure, 
from their advertising customers, that can all be wrapped up within a transaction by 31 December and then start brand new from the next period. Mm. So I think what it does is it strengthens ARN's bid and it increases the likelihood that this might get traction to close before the end of the year. You predicted a few weeks ago as well that, you know, the, the December deadline is probably a little too optimistic. In fact, SEA chair Rob Murray, I think his actual quote was, was highly optimistic yeah. that they would get it done. Does Seven West Media being involved now, the December deadline, does that look truly realistic now? Well, I think it does in, in this eventuality, and that is to say that the shareholders at SCA, the board recommends to them that this bid is now good from their point of view, subject to any other offer being known. Right? So basically this is the best offer we've got and we can recommend it subject to anyone else coming along with a better offer. So you can get to that position by December. What you are probably unlikely to be able to do in that time is pass through all the regulatory hurdles, Foreign Investment Review Board, Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, Australian Communication and Media Authority to name probably three important stakeholders from a regulatory point of view. That is unlikely to conclude. But you can say that SCA's board recommended to shareholders in the absence of any other offer plus subject to regulatory approval. So you could get to that position conceivably. Well, we are at a point now where every week there is a, a momentous update. I know ARN are very excited about Seven West Media being on board Again, a few weeks ago, we talked about what this takeover proposal means for both companies, both talent and in office. Mm. At this point now, what's the message to the SEA and ARN staff? Well, it's a really interesting time, Neil. So tomorrow morning, we know the results of survey number seven for radio. So we'll we'll analyse them. Well, Nathan more specifically. Thank you so much, Nathan. Yeah, when I say <laughs> we, I mean Nathan. <laughs> so Nathan will analyse those. But survey seven is usually the time where you have to make some some decisions. You know what the ratings have been for, a, for the year for all of your programming and so you have to make decisions about next year. If you haven't made them already, they have to be finalised really soon. Next is advertising clients. They don't get another survey a result, Survey 8, until December the 19th, I think it is, right up on the cusp of Christmas. So they're making their current and new media buying decisions based on those survey results tomorrow. And so we have that situation, which is kind of normal in every year. Then above that you have the abnormal item of, wow, which company am I going to be working for? As they, you know, people at ARN and SCA look to their employer and say, okay, is my job safe? You know, as we head towards this deal, it's all in question. And so it's a really difficult thing but, you know, having been through these situations before, I think the best thing for everyone to try to do is, yes, ask the questions of your employer that you need to, but really focus on your performance, do the best job you can because in the end that's what matters. That's what gets you audiences, that's what gets you advertising campaigns and that helps your business operate successfully right to the end and you can still do your, your job well and be proud. Well, as Adam said, the radio ratings come out on Thursday morning so if you are listening to this past Thursday morning, check out mumbrella.com.au for all the stats. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, publisher Adam Lang and deputy editor Nathan Jolly. Thanks for sticking around, guys. My pleasure. No worries. I wanted to have this part of the show dedicated to an industry that we all have a, a past and current relationship with, that being the Australian music industry. Again, as we record this on a Wednesday afternoon, the ARI Awards 
are happening tonight in Sydney at the Horton Pavilion. Nath, I'll start with you. Let's talk about your relationship with the ARIA Awards and your feelings about it in the past years because we were kind of talking in the office this morning and didn't realise how many venues the ARIAs have been at throughout the years, the different angles they've taken, you know, heavy reliance on Australian acts, some years heavy reliance on international acts. How do you feel about the ARIAs today? I mean, they seem highly irrelevant at this point and I don't quite know what the fix is. I think they just need to try harder. Like I was at last year's ARIA Awards, I was at the Horton Pavilion. They just, just the way it was set up, like they had all the kind of food installations and drinks outside and so everyone was just outside during the awards mm. and not only just out there but having the kind of conversation that only 2,000 people can have in tandem where it's just just overwhelming to what is meant to be a TV presentation. And you could actually hear it. So I, I was home by the end of it just because I'd had enough and I turned it on TV and you could hear the people chattering off camera louder than you could hear the host, which I think was Natalie Imbruglia. She was at least presenting a lot of awards. Mm. And there was just kind of no one could hear the auto cues. Bands were coming in early People were throwing, like it was just, a, it was like a terrible Rockus Deadford. Mm. And this is meant to represent our, this is meant to be our Grammy representative. And it's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the industry. It's embarrassing for everyone involved. I'm not surprised that Channel 9 have bumped it off the main stage and put it on Stan because it's not primetime viewing. This will be the first time it's on Stan, isn't it? Yeah, as far as I know. I think during the um, COVID there was, like they didn't do it live. So there was some kind of YouTube broadcast, yep. which... Got more people watching on YouTube. So this is 2021. There were 287,000 people watched on YouTube, the live thing. And then last year, they had 243,000 across the five metros. So less people watched on Channel 9 than watched on YouTube. And, I mean, do people care? We'll find out tomorrow when the ratings come. But Mm. it just seems like there's just a distinct lack of care. As you said, they've bounced around. They tried it at the Opera House one year. They tried it at what's a big arena, Kudos Arena. Kudos was it? Arena, yeah. yeah. That was when Silverchair played, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, back yep. when, you know, Silverchair and Midnight Earl and stuff would show up for the awards. Mm-hmm. Now <laughs> it's just a bit, yeah. It just seems really misguided. And they're trying to aim at like a TikTok audience, but they're also trying to aim at the kind of people that went to see the John Farnham film. Yep. And they're missing both. Yeah. Like they've got Christian Wilkins again. He didn't know the name of any of the artists last year. He was mispronouncing these names, just seemed wholly uninterested. I mean, it was very much a nepotistic thing because mm. I believe he's Molly Meldrum's son, is he? <laughs> I want to come back to your point in a second, but Adam. Anyway, I'll stop ranting. When I was like a, a mere toddler, you were rocking the Kudos Bank Arena <laughs> ARIA Awards. Can you take me back to, to, I guess, what we would call the glory years when, you know, your in excesses and your silver chairs and your powder fingers are the main attraction? And again, as I said to, I had a conversation with this morning about it, it's not to discredit the current Australian acts because there is a lot of excellent Australian music, but does Australian music have a star that is globally renowned and nationally renowned? Because it just feels like the the stars that we currently have, say a Kid Leroy, who's massive globally, it feels like he had to go overseas to become what he is now because Australian industry didn't nurture him the way it probably should have. Oh, that's so interesting to me. So full disclosure here, I'm a massive music fan. Worked in the industry for 12 years, still a massive music fan of course. So I I think you might have picked up on it, Neil, I'm a natural optimist. 
So, you know, mm-hmm. combine those two things. I'm an optimist and I'm a massive music fan. So I want the ARIA Awards to be great again, dare I say it, mm-hmm. you know, that I would love to think that it has such cultural relevance that people want to see it and that even a, an awards show, awards shows on television always struggle, right? But it, it can be entertaining. You think of the nature of the acts you've got showing up. Many of the bands, many of the artists are there. And so you would love to think that, well, maybe we just get a kit and full stage rig and we can get some of them to play. So you think the distance between what it is and becoming really entertaining, again, for a television audience is possible. I think that the nature of these things, having been to many, is that awards ceremonies can be quite tough going for the audience, you know, mm-hmm. because the industry is very interested in hearing names of the people that they know did the work and, and having them recognised as nominees and winners. But it can just be a bit of a roll call sometimes if you make it too long. And so it's a challenge to put all that together logistically. But if I think if you could separate the show, the concert, and then do a, an abridged version of the awards where it just punches through all of the nominees and captures what people felt when they were nominated and win and speak to them on the night. There's so much good. I mean, we've got so many great artists. You look at probably to your point, Neil, I think we do have international stars but we probably don't see them that way and from these shores they don't look that way all the mm. time. So if you think about like Panau, they are international superstars. Kid Leroy, as you mentioned, definitely is. There are many other artists. So, you know, it is really about where are they and what are they doing and understanding how well they're going on in the international scene because many look, – look at Tame Impala. I mean, Nathan, they're a band that you mentioned in conversation. Yeah. Um, terrific rock band. Awesome and well – respected internationally. We've got so many good bands still with great vibrancy on an international scene. Are we connecting them back here and are we putting on a show that the public wants to watch on television? History shows we haven't done that Mm -hmm. but I would say that the opportunity is still there. So, Nathan, going back to your point about the Aries missing the mark in the last few years about the way they not only do the Aries but the way we kind of treat our acts and the audience we're trying to obtain. If you had the keys to the Aria Awards next year, what would you do to refine it? What would you want to see it be? Um, Well, first I'd cut it back from the usual nine and a half hours (laughs) to about a tight 90 minutes. Sure. It's the Wayne's World theory. The film Wayne's World goes for 97 minutes and you can't cut a second out. It's just tightly edited and that's how it should be. Like none of these – by the way, the awards, they actually – show like they don't show the best children's artist on tv Mm -hmm. which seems insane because that's where our blueies and our wiggles and all those things are like that's a clear kind of buy-in from the parents watching with their kids it seems insane to not do that but also you have to look at the re charts so i looked at this week's re chart and there are two singles in the top 50 that are australian artists number 25 is troy savan and number 30 is Riptide by Vance Joy, which has Riptide. been out wow. for a decade. That song is number 30 on the charts and well, it's been out artists, since 20. Right? Yeah, mm. exactly. But surely we've done more since Riptide. Yeah. And same as the album's chart. There are two records on it, Troy Savine again and a Mark of Cain vinyl reissue. Ill at ease, 1995 record. Yeah, well, now you can get it on. The song LMA is one I yeah. particularly recommend. Yeah, well, you can check it out on the charts this week. It's number 40 with a bullet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But then when we talk about marketing – these artists, what are we not doing right? It's a million things. It's like commercial radio needs to have kind of these, like they need to play more Australian artists, whether that's a regulatory thing, whether we just make it the same as in TV where there's a certain amount of primetime 
first-run Australian drama we need to do. Maybe we need to do that for commercial radio. Maybe the labels just need to focus more on promoting the local artists. Like they don't need to be promoting Taylor Swift and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That that happens itself. So why aren't they spending their marketing dollars trying to promote the actual artists that they sign and nurture? So we've got a bit of a, a vested interest here, Neil, you know, the Mumbrella cast. You know, we speak to the industry of brand marketers, media buyers, creative agencies, communications and PR people as well as the media owners themselves. So I think within easy reach of the um, Umbrella cast and the Umbrella newsletter, we've got a whole range of people who could probably say, I've got an idea. You know, we could source, so I think, some great input to help Australian music through the ARIA Awards become really potent again. It is interesting as well. This is the first year that there is an ad soundtrack category. So there's 72 and Sunny with Campfire X, Bolter Group, Bring Agency, In Ocean, MNC Sachi, and the brand agency were all up for this award. Again, if you're listening to this past Wednesday night, you'll know who the winner is. But this is, you know, this is a positive step in the right direction. It, it not only showcases brands, it is showcasing artists, you know. Um, Empire of the Sun, I think the 2012, possibly 13 hit, Walking on a Dream, they actually reimagined for WA Tourism. Great song. Um, Great campaign. The Veronicas, I guess, went on some sort of stunt where they pretended to break up for their agency that ad. That was a cruel trick. That was very cruel. But, again, to, to, to both your points, at least this is a step in the direction of showcasing artists and marketing, is it not? Yeah, and Channel 9 also this year, like kudos to them because they're running at 7.30 on their like main free-to-air mm-hmm. channel. They're running like a compact version that is an hour and a half or two hours I think it runs, so probably an hour and a half without the ads, like a kind of a time-delayed best of for one an of edit. So Yeah, an edit. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, like when you cut out all the like best jazz flautist and <laughs> just show jet plane rollover DJ and stuff like that and you don't have the awkward stilted banter that you see at all these award shows. Mm. Yeah, I think like maybe that's a key. Maybe they'll watch that and go, hang on, this looks a lot better than what we actually had in person. So maybe we can cut down on our actual presentation because whether it's a Grammys, the Logies, no matter what the awards are, Australian of the Year, it's just too long. It's too long. No one cares about all of it. It's very hard to kind of keep up the kind of the momentum in the room and when the momentum is not in the room, it's certainly not coming across when you're watching it at home. Like it's just so hard to keep that energy. Like if you've ever been to a live sporting event versus watching it on TV, you know the difference. And conversely, when we lost all the sporting audiences during COVID and you watch it on TV, it's just like the air was sucked out of the room. Mm. It's like it just seemed less exciting. And so if the actual event isn't exciting, that's not going to like translate and trick people at home who go, man, I wish I was there to see Jess Malboy mispronounce the Tame Impala <laughs> album, which happened one year, by the way. Did it actually? Yep. She called it Inner Speak. And that's because she wasn't briefed because no one cared enough to brief her because they're not putting enough effort into it. And the Australian music industry is too important for the artist to just half-ass it anymore. That's well said. Yeah, I'll leave that there. That's If you get it, if you're listening to this on the Wednesday, we don't know who the winners are yet. If you're listening to this post-Wednesday, check out mumbrella.com.au for all the details. We'll have a wrap there. That's all the time we've got for today. Nathan, Adam, thanks for joining me. 
Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having us. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything we've talked about today. I'm Neil Griffiths. Thanks for your company, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.